Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, media maven, talent booker, publicist, and political enthusiast. And I am Terry Anulowitz, state representative and someone who has survived many hours of budget hearings this week. Yeah, so you've been at the Capitol. I have. It's, it's, I, I know, just so you know, Terry came here and you're like in a super cash, like chunky sweater and jeans and coordinating shoes, by the way. New kicks. Got them last weekend. Uh, yes. So you've got your whole look going on. I'm like, wait a minute. Did you dress at the Capitol like that? No, I didn't. I had a, um, well, I was at the Capitol <laughs> like this. Yes, but I changed clothes. I started off the day in some lovely navy blue, blue pleather pants and a very cute top. Um, so, yes. so you did the planning like uh, like two outfits in a day. Will it surprise you to learn, Mara, that I set my outfits out the night before? <laughs> no. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so I all. had my, my, my morning meeting outfit where I had to look like a professional grown-up state representative person. Yep. And then I had in a tote bag. Um, it's a great tote bag. Navy blue. It's a smash the garlic and the patriarchy. Got it at Karis Books. Indicator. Shout out. And there I had my my jeans and my kicks and okay. my sweater. It's from the La Lina line at Target. Okay, well you look ago. great. You, you look great. I think it's great. Um, all right. So you did you get your committee assignments? What did you get? We did, and I I am thrilled with my committee assignments. So I am continuing on appropriations, and I'm on the Human Resources Subcommittee, which okay. is a fantastic subcommittee. But it's also a subcommittee where like I have yet to go through a committee hearing and not cry because we are dealing with with issues that really impact some of the most vulnerable Georgians and their families. Okay. Um, you know, and it's, so it's, 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 a, it's intense, but I'm very, very glad to be on that committee, to have a voice on that committee. Uh, I, yeah, I've been reading a lot about the foster care problems. Is that part of it? We do have DHS on our committee. So that's, that's, you know, that's, uh, over there, there's part of that. Yeah. There's a lot of weight on your shoulders to carry when you're hearing those human and personal stories in your backyard, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. it is, it's, it's a lot. It's, I, I actually, that's when I talked to another colleague of mine, um, a Republican and he was in a, he's on a different committee, subcommittee, but similar issues. And he was like, oh yeah, I cry at committee all the time. Wow. <laughs> like we just, it's yeah. very, it's very wrenching. Um, but I'm, so I'm continuing on appropriations. I'm continuing on transportation, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. I'm continuing on creative arts and entertainment. I am the secretary of that committee. Nice. Um, which is, that's a very fun committee. I am now on the government affairs committee, which is okay. a wonderful committee. That That's the committee that handles voting issues, issues with, um, you know, cityhood, municipalities. It's, it's a good committee. I've got a lot of experience related to that because of my city council experience. And I'm looking forward to diving into that committee. And then I am also on a new committee, which is public health. And that is chaired by Representative Sharon Cooper, who's also from Cobb. Sharon has been around the Capitol for a long time and she has always helmed the health committee. But now there is a public health committee, a health committee. There is an over, like an umbrella committee uh, that is headed by Representative Butch Parrish, who is a pharmacist, who's, I adore Butch. And he, he is heading that committee. So I'm and then we have some really good people. Michelle Al is going to be on that public health committee who, you know, of course, the senator came over to the house. She's a physician. We've got uh, Katie Dempsey, who is my appropriations subcommittee chair, who knows a lot about mental health, a lot about it's, it's going to, I think we're going to get some good meaty things on that committee and I'm thrilled to be part of it. So you've been active in vaccines and, and public yes. health for a really, really long time. As a matter of fact, the first time Jen and I talked to you, mm-hmm. I think this, 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 
I, I, well, it had to be while she was running for attorney general. So it's not that long ago. You were, had a vaccine bill like before all the vaccine stuff. Oh, before vaccines were cool. Yes. Pre pandemic, (laughs) I had a vaccine bill. I was prescient and, uh, yeah. Anyway, didn't go anywhere, but that's okay. It was, it's a good bill. It's, it was a bill that would allow mature minor consent, which would mean that if your child has reached the age of consent in Georgia, which is 16, which means they can, you know, right, do the right, things right. that you can do when you right. can consent, um, that they could also consent to routine vaccinations as recommended by the CDC. So, you know, measles, um, you know, tetanus, uh, HPV, like you know, just any vaccine they could go and get at age 16. This is not an unusual thing. It's actually something that is recommended by the American Medical Association. And in many of our neighboring states, you can get your vaccines without parental consent when you have, you know, when you are considered a mature minor. So, so can you, in Georgia, what is what are the standards? In Georgia, it's 18. It's 18. So yes. you're trying to get a change to 16. Yes. Well, I have in the past. I'm not, I don't plan on dropping any of that legislation right okay. now. No, we're in a, yeah, we're going to have a whole episode just well, on okay, vaccine we'll talk policy. about that. It's, it's so interesting because I literally just came from lunch at the General Muir mm-hmm. with conservative uh, radio host Martha Zoller, yes. who you watch on the Georgia game gang. It is a game too. Um, and it is interesting. And shout out to Martha. And uh, we both had a delicious lunch. But you drive by the CDC over there, which is right across the street, and there is one guy out there every single day of that anti-vaccine protester. Yep. Uh, And I mean, hey, tip of the hat to him. He doesn't miss a day. It's it's like he's just—so that's a tough position to be in. It is. But, you know, it's it's worthwhile. And again, that was something that, you know, predates COVID, but Mm -hmm. it— really became a hot issue. So I do, I have, you know, regular anti-vaccine folks who show up in my inbox and I'm like, thanks for sharing your insight. (laughs) (laughs) I said, good day. (laughs) Um, You know, we got an interesting tweet. That's what I was looking for here. And I I wanted your opinion and I, cause I wanted to definitely give a shout to Kathy Floyd. Yes. And she said, good topic for vote her house Republicans treatment of women in their caucus, skip over Jan Jones for speaker and strip Sharon Cooper of her chairmanship thoughts. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that Sharon was stripped of her chairmanship because she is still chairing the public health committee. I think there is just a real reevaluation and rejiggering of sort of how, because healthcare, you know, we've had the same committees regarding health for a very long time and healthcare and how healthcare is delivered and how healthcare is approached as a policy issue has changed a lot in the United States and in Georgia. So I, I, I would not say that this was necessarily a stripping of Sharon Cooper. I think it's a, a shifting of how health is approached. And I think anyone who underestimates Sharon Cooper and what she'll be able to do with this public health committee is going to be remiss. Well, there you go. Yeah, but Kathy, but shout out to Kathy because she's she knows the Capitol very, very, very well. Well, Kathy, we're so glad that you're listening and we will always take your questions. You can find us both on social media. Just look us up. Yep. Uh, and also notice our new logo. We have Terry's name oh. added to the art. Thank you so much to Terry White, who's our great artist who works at Adult Swim and got that done. So that's good. And Jen will be back. But yes, when that is, we'll just keep calling her. Okay, so- Speaker Burns, and I remember Speaker Burns because I just think of Mr. Burns, and he's nothing like- Could not be further from- (laughs) 
just think of could the not be further from. <laughs> okay, okay. So he had a press conference, and basically, it feels like I don't want to say like the state house is a little bit now that you're the rubber is hitting the road. Right. It, 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 I don't want to say it feels like kumbaya, but it feels like you know everybody's sort of on the same page. We want to get the work done, and we don't want to. We don't want to die. I think we talked about this last week too, but it seems like pretty. Tolerant, same. Yeah, I think, you know, we we are, I think that that message of working together for Georgians that the governor laid out in his inaugural address that we're hearing from a lot of other elected officials, I think that that really is, I think, I think they're trying hard to set the tone. Now, we've been through, you know, the first week of session. We had, you know, the first four legislative days. That was that first week that we talked about a lot of ceremonial stuff, not really a whole lot of policy stuff at all. This week, we had the budget hearings and... We got our committee assignments, which is huge. And that's what everybody, you know, when those- Everybody's way. And did you get your office? Uh, yes, we got office assignments. I actually moving one, I moved one wall over. I moved in one hour yesterday, thanks to my wonderful admin who helped me out. Because um, it was a short move, but you're still moving a lot of stuff. And I had a lot of pictures on my wall. Um, but we, but yeah, got new office- Got we everyone got their committee assignments. Oh, so. I want to go down there and visit you. Oh, you can't, but you have to come after I hang the pictures. Okay. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> okay. I gotta hang the pictures. I, I remember I went to Jen's office uh, mm-hmm. last year and I was just like, you know, because remember, Jen and I started doing this podcast when she was in pajamas every day. And then I went down to the right. Capitol. And it'll be, I know it's gonna be the same thing with you, where like she was like, What is wrong with you? You're speechless. Because I didn't know how to handle myself around the Capitol because it's just so damn cool. It is neat. And, and I, I believe in having a, you know, trying to have a nice, lovely office as a form of self-care when you're down there amongst a lot of brutal policy <laughs> fights. And so I, you know, my, my last stuff was like, I took down, we have these burgundy, bl- I'm in the LOB. I'm not in the Capitol. I'm not that fancy. Okay. I don't have that kind right. of stuff. She was in the building across the yeah, street that's too. Right. Yeah, yes. that's where yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now my, so the office I moved into was a, almost the same size that her office was last yep. time. So I'm going to have a little seating area. It's going to be nice. Uh, but it's, you know, I have, I, you know, ha- wanted to make sure my office was nice. So I took down the burgundy blinds and put up curtains and <laughs> had everything on the walls in a really lovely way. And it's, you know, because you're going to be in there anyway. So you yeah. might as well enjoy it. Like I, 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 and I am of the mind that, you know, if you go into someone's office and it's just a couple of cardboard boxes and a couple of pictures leaning against the wall, it's like, you planning on sticking around or are you ready to make a yeah, quick getaway? Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think yeah. that's great. So I think that's, you know, we've got a lot to look forward to. Um, you know, we've got uh, betting and we've got budgeting and we've got, hopefully we're going to be light on the social issues because it is nice for a minute uh, for people to not be, you know, carrying on and fighting. I mean, there's all these, I've been seeing all these crazy bills in other states right. when it comes to the social issues, whether it be uh, the, the drag shows or uh, the abortion, like, isn't it enough? Where, you know, right. uh, where does it end? Or uh, the ba- the book banning. It just seems like we are a little bit light on that in Georgia for now. For now. And again, I completely anticipate that those kinds of messaging bills will be dropped. What you have to watch for is, again, where are they assigned? And is there actually, again, in a bill being assigned to a committee, every bill has to be assigned to a committee. Whether or not that chair of that committee wants to have a hearing on the bill, uh, that's, their, that's the discretion of the chair. Whether or not that committee is going to actually vote on whether that bill will pass committee, because of course you bill doesn't, if your bill doesn't pass committee, it's, it's dead in the water. So a lot, you have to really watch the committee process pretty closely. 
Okay. Other things to watch. Um, it was fun, you know, hearing about Governor Kemp, who's just like living his best life, uh, going to Davos. Oh, yeah. Um, and I liked hearing about, um, well, I listened to Greg Bluestein talk about this, and he was saying that he and the AJC were going to go cover him at Davos, but it was so, it's so elite and you have to make your reservations in Switzerland so far in advance right. that there was no place for him to stay to even cover it. And where it, uh, the nearest hotel was something like six miles away, but in the mountains, in the mountain town, that's like over an hour yeah, away. Yeah, the Swiss Alps. Plus he wasn't able to get his credentials cleared. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess apparently you don't just decide to go. It's not Coachella. You don't just go to Davos. You have to, there's a, a whole big process, which I had no idea until, I, I until had no he and, idea. You know, and Patricia Murphy were talking about that. But yeah, that is, uh, which makes sense though, right? Because you have got a lot of really high, high level leaders, like world leaders there. You have corporate, you know, the CEOs of all kinds of companies. It makes sense that it would be a pretty high security restricted area. Well, this was really funny. I loved this clip from Lieutenant Governor Nunez of Florida uh, talking about Governor Kemp showing up because there are a lot of Republicans that were pretty pissed. Although mm -hmm. I feel like the Georgia Republicans kind of kept it low. Yeah. But not her. We're going to fight for people's freedoms to decide what they want to drive, how they want to drive it, what they want to eat, how they want to cook it. Um, and so his reference to the gas stoves, I think that's something that while most people, their their minds are blown when they hear those types of policies come from D.C., but that originates from that globalist view and what they lecture us over in Davos and what I call the woke elite forum, not the World Economic Forum. <laughs> <laughs> blah, 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 Davos. Blah, 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 globalist. Blah, 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 gas stoves. Like, that is just regurgitation of a bunch of, of far-right talking points. Wait, what is, like, can you explain where this gas stove thing... It's not thing, even a thing. Is so, this, like, apparently Consumer Product Safety... I think Consumer Product Safety Commission was like, by the way, they have a great Instagram feed and a great Twitter feed. You should all follow the CPSC. Whoever's doing their work, excellent work. Well done. The, you know, the... And it is true, right? Like, it is gas, and you really should, if you have a gas stove, I have a gas stove, love my gas stove. If you have a gas stove, you really should run the vent when you're cooking. Always do. Always do. Yeah, also because you don't want your house to smell like dinner the next morning. Yeah. So, you know, run your fan. Everything's fine. But what, is, what is this, like, the new talking point is, first they're trying to take away Christmas, now they're trying to take away your, your gas stove. It's like anything else with that pack of grifters, right? You've got to... <laughs> You've got to like, like there's something with like a kernel, like a kernel of reality, right? Like, like the CPSC is like, you know, if you have a gas stove, you might want to like run your vent so you don't have, you know, there's a higher risk of asthma. Okay. So they take that to like, they're trying to ban your gas stove. It's like, no, they're not. What are you talking about? They're just like, it's in the, it just gets elevated and they, they magnify and amplify because it gives them their talking points. So then she can go on Twitter and put a video like, and no, and like, Trying to link somehow Brian Kemp being at Davos to gas stoves. It's like, oh, honey, it's, am no. it's amazing. And by the way, I love my gas stove so much. I don't know how I can now, if I'm ever like in an Airbnb or oh, staying yeah. somewhere that has electric stove, I'm like, how do people live like this? Well, I'll tell you what, if you have electric, you got to go with induction. Okay. You got to go with induction. Induction is actually pretty amazing. I just can't. I'm so that gas stove is, I love How it. How many burners do you have? I Mara? only have four. <laughs> 
And that's a private joke that you'll hear about <laughs> in the next couple of months. Okay. Um, the next thing that really fascinated me today, the day we're taping is, is now I... I have a fascination with a lot of national Republican women besides Kelly Loeffler. I'm going to get to her in a minute. Of course we are. The other one is Nikki Haley. Mm -hmm. She is a really fascinating figure to me because I think she just sort of waves in the wind and her spine just sort of like curdles and, you know, it just sways in the way of the day. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk about her running for president and she was interviewed on Brett Baer and talk about politicians. Like you're really good. She's at, good at reading the room. She's okay, very skilled. Like listen to her, like give an answer, but it not really an answer. I, I love this. Uh, we are in the new year. How are those tea leaves looking? Are you going to run for president? Well, I'm not going to make an announcement here, but when you're looking at a run for president, you look at two things. You first look at does the current situation push for new leadership. The second question is, am I that person that could be that new leader? Yes, we need to go in a new direction. (laughs) And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. I was as governor. I took on a hurting state with double-digit unemployment, and we made it the beast of the Southeast. As ambassador, um, you know, I took on the world when they tried to disrespect us, and I think I showed what I'm capable of at the United Nations. So do I think I could be that leader? Yes, but we are still working through things, and we'll figure it out. I've never lost a race. I said that then. I still say that now. I'm not going to lose now, but stay tuned. She doesn't have a chance, does she? I I mean, I don't think so. I don't know. But I, you know, good on her for not being self-deprecating. Good. I mean, seriously, as as a woman, good on her for being like, yeah, I could do this. Am Um, I going to? I don't know. Wait and see. (laughs) The beast of the Southeast. That is a new one. I, oh my God, Nikki, stop trying to make fetch happen. I have not heard that before. And you know, my favorite story about Nikki Haley is the popcorn. Oh. <laughs> she ordered popcorn for like her niece or nephew and it didn't come on time. And she made a tweet storm about it. And I, forever, she's popcorn Nikki to me. Like <laughs> you're the, the what was her position in the Trump administration? She was the she's an ambassador. Ambassador to United the Nations. Yeah. Okay. And you're going on a tear about popcorn. Maybe you don't do that on your public Twitter. Maybe you just <laughs> send an email. Oh my yeah. God, that was the greatest. Oh my uh, goodness. So yeah, I mean, again, it's like, you know, these women in leadership roles, you know, you want to root for them, but it's hard for me to root for her. And I think because she can't decide whether she's on Team Trump or not. And where she said, do we need new leadership? That's interesting. Right. No, that is very interesting. Um but again, I'm glad she's not being self-deprecating. I'm glad she's like, I could do it. Uh, well, I don't think she has a sense of humor, really. I don't. But I. <laughs> but but people do love her. Okay. Um, another thing that people can't stop talking about is this George Santos. And it's like, it's hard to not talk about it because it is so fascinating. But at yeah. the other point, you know, and I don't have this clip, but, um, and they talked about this on The View, of course. Of course. Um because there's two clips about it. So John Stewart was just talking about like how it's really funny and how uh, there's all these fake things about him. And if you've been living under a rock, if you're listening, you know about George Santos yeah. and everything about him is fake. And he's a member of Congress now from New York. But how long, you know, do the jokes become reality where like people thought Trump was a joke too. And then you're a joke, you're a joke, but you're there and you're making laws. And right. you're- he's there. He got assigned, he got his committee assignments. Yeah. Like so- they're not just like, 
marginalizing him. It's right. not like he's there and they're marginalizing him. His, you know, Kevin McCarthy's like, yeah, put him on a committee. Let's see. He can be on the space committee. So it's it, that's interesting. But listen to this interview. This was on CNN. And I really love this. Um, so basically, uh, Representative Byron Donalds from Florida has been basically, you know, he's a big anti-Trump guy and uh, I mean, anti-Biden guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's been making the rounds on a lot of media uh, talking about. And of course, he's going to be asked about Santos. And here's how this one went. I thought it was pretty interesting. You have not joined some of your Republican colleagues and, of course, most Democrats that we've heard from who are calling for George Santos to resign. Do you think that he can serve effectively? Uh, I think it's going to be difficult, no doubt about it. But again, if he has the wherewithal to deal with, you know, these things that have been caused by him and, and, and other things and still do his job, that yet that still remains to be seen. About the growing list of people calling for resignation, no, I've not joined that, simply because I don't think that that's the job of another member of Congress to say or, or, or call for. I think that's something between him and his voters. He has to deal with that on an individual basis. Well, I will say that you called for President Biden to resign and 84 million people voted for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm so tired of them saying, oh, let the voters decide when they're like, well, let's impeach Biden. No, that's a, and I think that that's fair because anything to do with, like there are things that they can do to marginalize him. Yeah. You know, Kevin McCarthy, they didn't have to appoint him to any committees. Yeah. They could have done exactly what the, what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats did with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. They, yeah. they could have completely they could they could put him in the broom closet for his office. They can give him no committee assignments. They can, they can make it clear. I mean, yeah, they can't remove him from the House, but they can make it clear that he's not going to have any role in the House. I mean, the drag queen pictures, and it's just like oh my the, the soldier, you know, the veteran who had needed veterinary care, and he stole the money from the dog. The dog died. I mean, it's just... You know, and it's it's not going to stop coming because we're all... And the other story I'm fascinated with, um, and I didn't put this on the rundown, but the story about Matt Schlapp and the Herschel Walker staffer. Oh, yeah. So for those who don't know that story, uh, Matt Schlapp is like a big conservative firebrand consultant, like major, major guy, and his wife, Mercedes Schlapp, and they get on all the right wing. I mean, they're they're pretty toxic people, I mm -hmm. have to say. But so there was a Herschel Walker staffer who alleges that he was uh, sexually assaulted by Matt Schlapp and has now filed something like an over $90 million lawsuit wow. against Matt Schlapp. And, it, I, I, and I find this pretty fascinating on two levels. Number one, it is a huge amount of money for a lawsuit. So obviously this person is looking for a settlement. There are text messages you can look up to see, which are pretty fascinating. And the other thing is, it's just, you know, I don't know where there's smoke, there's fire. So I wonder if there's going to be other people or who this staffer was. It's really interesting. What have you heard? I have not heard a whole lot. What I have heard is that, you know, in the Walker campaign, brought, especially after the revelation of the first secret child, like they brought in some pretty top tier campaign folks. And those folks are not out there defending Schlapp as far as I can tell. They're not. Not that I've seen. 
Yeah, it's really, yeah. really, that one fascinates me. Sorry, I should have, you know, I like to prepare no, Terry no, for the things is- I'm going to bring up, but that one is just, I mean, if, it, if listen, he's innocent till proven guilty, but the allegation is like pretty, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's just a, you know, grabbed his junk, wouldn't let go, sent some pretty like, you know. It's it's awful. It's gross. It's, it's gross. But, you know, anyway, uh, moving on to that topic. Sorry. No, no, no. (laughs) And I'm, yeah, and I'm not as up to speed with that as I should, but I do know that I feel like I don't, I I haven't heard a whole lot of Georgia Paul people running to the defense of Match Lab. Yeah. So, um, but people are running to the defense of Senator John Ossoff, who I love. Well, number one, I love him so much. Love you. You were with him last week. This week, Tuesday. Oh, how was that? He's awesome. He's yeah. so he's just warm and sincere and authentic. So and he, really smart. He was getting a little bit of crap for the uh, battery plant here. You know, to oh, you're taking all the credit for it. Um, which was amazing. Did you, did you, you heard about yeah. that oh, one, yeah. right? Yeah. How he's like, yeah, I passed the legislation uh, that you all opposed, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That Marjorie Taylor Greene was like, oh my God, y'all, we have this plan. It's batteries. It's coming to my district. Yay. And people are like, uh, you voted against it. <laughs> it's amazing. Let's do a little, let's do a little fact check here. You've known him for a very long time. Has he changed or is he still the same guy? I mean, I, I got to know him when he was originally running for that congressional district six. Yep. I think he's, I mean, if, if changed, like I think just grown and, and I mean, he has just settled into this role of Senator and like, y'all, you know, I'll be somewhere and he's speaking and I'll be talking, you know, the people I'm standing with and we talk and they're like, he's just, he's just so good. He's so good. I mean, the, the conventional wisdom that I hear when I've talked to people in, in both political parties about John Ossoff is that he will be able to have the Senate seat for as long as he wants it. And the question is just, what will he do next? Because he is, you know, and a lot, I mean, very similar to Senator Warnock. He is so engaged with the community. He, you know, he cold calls mayors and pastors and he's, he's staying engaged. His team is phenomenal. He has a very good team and man, having a good team, that's the nuts and bolts of of determining what your success is going to be like on the Hill. And he's got a fantastic team. He is engaged. He has the ability to remember names. I know. Oh my God. I can't even, I I don't even know. I don't even know how he's able to do that. So good. So good. Well, shout out to Jake Best, his uh, media comms person, because when I book talent and I need a politician, I always call Jake. He gets right back to me. So thank you. All right. We're going to get into some Cobb County information. I know this is, this is Terry's sweet spot, but we've got some tea to spill uh, and let's warm it up. All right, our guest today has a lot to say. Some may call him outspoken, and that's a great thing. Eric Allen is the, he's in charge of the Cobb County Democratic Committee, and he is a former state representative, and he has a new podcast. Is it new, or it's just a podcast called Policy Matters? Eric's here with us. Hi, Eric. Hello, how are you? How long have you been doing the podcast? Uh, I needed something to keep me busy uh, since I wasn't going back to the Capitol. So I started it in November, right oh, after the election. Yeah, so okay, it's pretty new. So it's pretty new. Okay. And how's that been going for you? Very, very new. Very new. What's that like, uh, getting on the mic and, and talking about policy and that? Is it, is it like, is it, how is that different from like going in public speaking at the state house? It, it, it's, uh, it's different because you're not 
going toe to toe or or really having a dialogue with someone else back and forth on the on the, on the issue. Um, so it's a, a little bit different in that standpoint, but it's also a way to keep uh, you know my teeth sharp, digging into policy and keeping abreast of what's going on at Skull Dome. No, I agree. And one of the things that I find with the podcast is that when you're just having the conversation with your peer, like I'm in in this room here talking to Mara, there's an intimacy. And I think it allows you to be candid in a way that I think can really bring a lot to the conversation. I feel less guarded. That's probably a bad thing. And maybe in the future, (laughs) someone doing some intern doing up a research on me is going to have a field day with all of these recordings. But I do feel like there's an intimacy (laughs) that I think can let you really drill down to to talking about policy on much more of a layman's level where it's much more accessible to people who, if you start talking about, you know, bill numbers or, you know, code sections, I think it's a lot more opaque for folks. And I think that the pod, I think podcasting is a great venue and a great platform to explain things to people in a way that they can really understand how it does impact their day-to-day lives. And like, you're looking at the topics that you've talked about, like Saturday voting, the runoff, you know, the Pro-Birth Accountability Act that, you know, Representative Kendrick you know, what's happening with redistricting. Um, you know, again, you're doing this in a way that, and what I think it's the same thing that we're trying to do here. It's, it's You're taking what's happening at the Capitol and trying to make people and help people understand why it is relevant to their daily lives. Yeah, and, and, and Terry, you know, when, when you're talking to a colleague, you're at the Capitol, you're not talking to real people. You're not talking to human beings. We're, we're, we're different. And, I, you know, one of the things I've found with the podcast, and I, I hope you find it, it, it will probably make you a better legislator because something, sometimes you need to be able to say things that are in human words and not in legislative speak. And, and so I find that to be the most interesting part or the, the, the best part of doing the podcast. Well, we're happy that you're doing it and it's called Policy Matters and we will put a link in the show notes so everybody can listen oh, to please it. Do. So let's talk about Cobb County for a minute. Let's talk about Cobb, baby. Wait, you've been married. You were here in the, in the <laughs> early 90s when people had bumper stickers on their car that said, I'm Cobbophobic. And they had those bumper <laughs> stickers because... Cobb County lost the opportunity to have any Olympic venues. We're going in the way back machine here. Wow. To have any right, Olympic. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah, yep. they lost any Olympic venues because they had a Cobb, the, the, the county commission insisted on passing a resolution saying that Cobb was not open to, um, the Cobb County was not a place that would welcome, what they say, like, like the homosexual lifestyle, something like that. And yeah, so, it wasn't wow. yeah. LGBTQ back then. It was just the gay. It was the homosexual lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. And so people had bumper stickers that said, I'm Cobophobic. Not long after that, the Cobb County Board of Education uh, insisted that stickers be placed in biology textbooks stating, by the way, evolution is just a theory. Right. So that, yeah. that, I, I, that I really remember because my dear friend, Bonnie Fishman, shout out to Bonnie, like was the one writing letters to the editor constantly about that. And I remember mm. with a huge controversy over that, yeah. uh, which is like, listen, don't even get me started on that because it's like, hey, if that's not what you believe, then send your kid to Christian school or Catholic school or whatever. And that's fine. But I want to hear from you, Eric, how you think Cobb County has really changed in the past 20, 15, 10, five years. I want to get an overview for, from you since you're, you're on the ground. You know, it, it's, it's one of those situations where I think so much has changed, but so much is not. I mean, you talk about the stickers that were put in the, the, the books, you know, 30 years ago, was it? Good Lord, it feels like a, that's a long time ago, but 
it was it was done. But is that really that much different than what some of the Cobb legislators like Jenny Earhart did last year to to ban stuff in curricula? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's <laughs> we're, we're one of those points where I think so much has changed, but so much hasn't. Uh, so much still still to be done. Um, but Cobb. Cobb has become a unique place. It's this transition in the last 20 years from the the county that, that spawned the Tea Party to uh, a county that has every countywide office but one belonging to Democrats and one seat away from the school board uh, being uh, controlled by Democrats. The Cobb legislative delegation uh, is majority Democrat. So I think, uh, you know, there's been a lot that has changed in the leadership of Cobb County, but there's still so much more to do with the the mindset of what that means. Uh, it is a democratic county, but not, not a progressive county. Um, so I think there's a, a kind of a, a governor on how far, you know, we go on policy, but it, it's, it's, it's the bellwether. You know, they say Georgia is the battleground state. I say Cobb is the bellwether of Georgia. So, so goes Cobb, so goes Georgia. And if you take the you know, take it all the way out, so goes the United States. And I think 2024 is going to play a huge part. Uh, Cobb is going to play a huge part in the outcome of some of these national, um, you know, the national election for the presidency, but also, uh, you know, really setting the tone for 2026 when we're going to be in another dogfight for U.S. Senate. When you look, when, you know, when everyone's at home watching the election returns, and you just like we were in, you know, for, in December for the Walker Warnock runoff, you're watching these national shows and they're like, well, you know, we can't tell you guys anything until we get the results from Cobb, Fulton, Gwinnett. You know, like we're, yeah, you're right. Like you can't yeah. call an election in Georgia without calling Cobb County. And by extension, you really can't call a federal election, like a presidential yep. election without without first being able to call Cobb County. And, and, and I would say, Terry, it's even, you know, more so than Fulton and Gwinnett. Fulton and Gwinnett are not as, close. I mean, right. Fulton and Gwinnett are, are strong dead. They're going to turn out, you know, it's just a matter of percentage with those two counties. You know, I, I still worry Cobb is fragile. Um, I think 2024 is going to tell us a lot about where Cobb really is because we've got the DA, the sheriff, and the Cobb chair all now, you know, first Democrats in those seats in, in decades, all up for re-election for the first time since they won. So that's going to be a huge test for, for you know, how blue is Cobb? I, I truly believe Cobb is blue. The question is, to what degree? Let me ask you, Eric, what do you think after the lessons from after we've had the, you know, the 2022 governor election, all the, you know, statewide races, what did Democrats need to do better gearing up to 2024? Like, what are the lessons learned? What are the successes? What are the failures? Um, what What's your analysis of all of this? So I think we had... Um, two great test cases. Um, we had the Warnock campaign, albeit with a hugely inferior uh, opponent um, in the runoff. Uh, and we had the Abrams campaign, um, which you know focused on turning out the base, base generation where Warnock appealed to the middle. You know, we had two different, two different cases. I, I think our lesson is in 24, it's not about which one worked. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Uh, we've got to do some base building. We've got to generate uh, turnout and get the base to come out and vote for Democrats and Democratic candidate. But we also um, have to make sure we have a, a message that doesn't compromise our Democratic values, but also doesn't scare off those in the middle. Um, I think the Republican side, and they've, they've done a good job of just being terrifying 
to the middle. Um, we've got to give those terrified, disenfranchised, uh, right-leaning voters uh, a comfortable place uh, to come. And I ask this to both of you as the time we're recording this, it's the usually the it's the anniversary of Roe on the day that this drops. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this year, there's just a lot of talk about the March for Life that they have on DC and how that was just really a pivotal point in the mov- movement, how they did that every single year. And now they're the the movement is just they're sort of like because there's there's a lot of split opinions about after Roe was overturned where do we go from here and as Republicans how do we message that so what Democrats are sort of in the back seat wondering like what are they going to do so so I would love to hear both of your thoughts moving forward as a lot of these op eds are being written as far as like what the feeling of the country is Terry I'll let you go first. No, I think that's a great question. Yeah, like where does the March for Life go? Go from here. What do they do? What are they marching for at this point now? And are they going to go all the way into where you hear some of the fringes of that that faction going? And are they going to? Is this going to be the march to end contraception? Will it be the march to uh, to end in vitro fertilization and fertility treatments? Yeah, how far are they going to go? Will it be the march to ban vasectomies? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Never, because that's men. So right. you know. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Uh, what do you think, Eric? You know, I, 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 I was asked this question by someone earlier today from a, a different publication, but uh, I, I think they're marching for their own life. Um, the, the midterms scared the crap out of a lot of the people who have run on this issue for so long. You look at, I mean, even the state referendums, uh, it really let them know that overturning Roe v. Wade was a very unpopular decision. Not a popular decision. So I, I think this March for Your Life rally is probably um, going to do more damage uh, because, to your point, what, what are they? Re- what, what more do they want? They, they've already cut so close to the bone; they've ticked off more than half of the country, uh, overwhelming majority of, of the country. So now you're going to march and remind them that you just stripped away one of their rights. Um, I, I just, I just think it's a it's a horrible move, and it's uh, not uncommon. Um, to see re- Republicans just double down on stupid. Well, yeah, and once it was, it was it what is so interesting about it, I think, is as we go into 2024, and I think, you know, we're talking here about lessons learned, and the lesson I think Republicans learned was, like, overturning Roe is not popular. No. And yeah. even with Republican moderates, you know, because they like freedom, and so this is, you know, but— I, I wonder to both of you, it's like the pro-choice, even though the pro-choice movement is losing because, of course, so many women are being stripped of their basic rights and it's horrible and we can't forget it and we can't stop talking about it. But in the culture war, maybe it's winning. What do you think? It's winning to a point, but I think Democrats have to get smart about how you pivot. Um, you know, I, I, I argue that the re- Republican movement on, on this is not pro-life. It's just pro-birth. Um, there, there's a whole lot of policies. Once you're birth, yeah. 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 Well, once you're born, they really don't care. If they were really, if they were pro-life, they would expand Medicaid so you wouldn't have a, a you know, half of the counties in the state without OBGYN. I mean, that's pro-life. Um, you you would be serious about tackling maternal mortality. That's pro-life. Um, they're not really marching for life. They're marching for an issue that they've been running campaigns on for the last fifty years. 
they finally are the dog that caught the tire and they don't know what else to run on. And, and so this is, I think this is more of a, like you said, a culture shock um, in this situation than it is a movement at this point. Well, and I think too, they're also refusing to acknowledge the actual reasons why so many women seek abortions. In many cases, it is a, it is a healthcare decision. And in the overwhelming amount of, of situations, it is economic. I mean, like way more than like yeah. upwards of 72, 73% of women cite economic factors, whether it's the cost of childcare, it's, it's, you know, they, it's, they already have, most women who seek abortions are already mothers. They have children who, and they're worried about how they're going to provide for and feed these children if another mouth is in their family. I mean, and that's what I always tell, you know, especially being Catholic and I, all the time, I'm like you're Catholic, how can you, you know, be upset about Roe? It's like, well, look, if you want to reduce the number of abortions, abolition is the wrong policy. You're just barking up the wrong policy tree, full stop. If you're not looking at the reasons why women seek abortions and it's overwhelmingly economic when it's not a healthcare situation, you are, all you're doing is you're just doubling down on basically just saying you want to control women. If, if you know, there's a reason why the abortion rate was at its lowest since Roe, since the Roe decision in 73, the abortion rate was at its lowest after the Affordable Care Act went into effect and women were able to get contraception, right? So like, if you're going to be, you know, is it, are the March for Life folks in Washington, are they going to, are they going to have banners saying, hey, we need to give, you know, free birth control to any woman who wants it? Probably not. So, you know, they're not actually supporting policies that do reduce the need for abortion, which is why I think that their, their efforts are, are, it's Very just weird. It's just weird. Okay, jumping to another topic. Um, now you're out of the state house now, so um, you can yep. you can speak a little bit freer. Um, but we were we <laughs> not that you weren't like pretty outspoken before. But what are your thoughts on like I, I just the lieutenant governor Bert Jones? We talked about this earlier. Is a fake elector, and here we have. This uh, Fulton County DA uh, decision coming down on this is going to drop on. Uh, you're hearing this on Monday, but on Tuesday, I mean, how does the Republican Party move forward? What are your thoughts on him and how all of that went down? Well, uh, you, you just struck a, a, a nerve. That's a personal uh, <laughs> talking about lieutenant governor's race. I I, I think um, you know, Burt Jones being a fake elector um, is the I don't know how to say it, but it's the, it's the, the, the top issue. It's just the, the macro. I think you've got to drill down into the micro of that he's anti-democracy. Uh, all of these fake electors are anti-democracy. How do you give someone a gavel that's leading one chamber of our, you know, one half of our legislative branch um, who does not believe in democracy, who does not believe in one person, one vote? Uh, you know, who, who doesn't believe in the fundamental things that we believe in. Um, by being a fake elector, he basically acknowledged that he does not believe in the democratic principles that this country was founded on and that we operate on, um, which to me is disqualifying to hold a gavel presiding over one half of the legislative branch of our government. Well, I, and I realize that you were running for a lieutenant governor, so I should probably remind our audience of that, which is why that struck a chord with you. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but how you doing from that? That was a that that was a, a, and then you were not endorsed by Stacey Abrams. So, can you talk a little about that? 
I mean, that, that was, um, you know, the, I think there were a lot of reasons, uh, why the black vote was suppressed. And I, I think black voters looked at that ticket and thought that it could have been different. And, you know, I, as I said on my podcast and other places, nothing against the, the nominee, um, that was running, but both of us could have gone into Buckhead and gotten votes, but only one of us could go into Bankhead and be effective. Um, and, and that's where I think we just missed an opportunity. But that being aside, once again, he was a much better qualified candidate than someone who does not believe in democracy. Um, if, if I would have done anything different if I was the nominee, it would be not to just remind people he was a fake elector. Average people don't know what that means. But if you look at what, what, what Joe Biden did going out and making the battle for democracy the issue, that was what blunted the, the red wave. It made people take pause and go, do we really want that party in control? If you think about it, in Georgia, no one was really carrying that message. We, we were stuck in the echo chambers of expand Medicaid and do, you know, all, all the things we've been saying for the last decade. Um, this, this election really was about telling people, you are going to lose your democracy if you put these people in control. Yeah, the stakes are, the, yeah, and that's the thing. The reality is the stakes are very, very, very high stake is do you do you support democracy do you believe in this american democracy or do you not it's binary yeah do, do, do you believe in the idea or do you not and that's the referendum and and we did not make that referendum uh we didn't make people have that choice or make that choice in this election in georgia so are you going to run for something again it's the big question i am i am probably going to be on the ballot sooner rather than later oh good yes Okay, great. Okay, good. Um, And we were talking about this earlier. So I want to ask you when you uh, were a house representative, did you lay out your clothes the night before like Terry Nolowitz does? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. She she lays out her clothes, but she still texts me uh, most mornings saying, hey, I'm coming. I'm going to be a little bit late. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't don't know if there's any advantage (laughs) to put your clothes out. Uh, no, my wife dresses me, so she put my clothes out of what I was going to wear. Well, the podcast is called Policy Matters, and you can uh, get it wherever you get your podcast. Eric Allen, thanks so much for being so candid with us today. And I can't wait for uh, the next thing that you run for because you have such a strong voice and you have such great connectability. And uh, I met you one time in person. It was just like, you're a hugger, and I love that. Well, I, I thank you for having me, and I look forward to giving you another hug soon. Thanks, Eric. All right. Well, that was fun. I mean, that was like we've learned a lot and I'm sure we're going to see more news of that. I like talking about the March for Life stuff, you know, because it's just uh, it is really fascinating to me to see where the movement goes next. Yeah, because it is wildly unpopular. And I think Republicans do know that, like, you know, now you've got one of your major, major campaign issues gone. I mean, it's, 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 you know, yeah. it's really weird. Yeah. So where do they go next? Do they, again, do they double down? Do they lean in on contraception, it's, on fertility it's, treatments? Yeah, like where are they going to go next with this? And I think there are plenty in that faction who would love to, to drop bills about contraception and plan B and which, you know, contraception, plan B, 
I think that people are very concerned that those things are going to happen. Um, but again, like, well, yeah, what are you marching for? Is it? It's bizarre. That's why I, well, I'll give myself a plug. Uh, uh, on the 26th, I am uh, moderating a conversation, Roses for Roe, for Planned Parenthood. So I am doing that um, because I feel like it is like, in a weird way, um, I feel like I'm leaning into those causes even more yeah. because it's just because of exactly what you said, Terry, is that like now they're like, oh, okay, well, we've got to take it a step further and we've got to be louder and not let that happen. Well, and look at the economic reality. You have people whose jobs it is, like their nine to five job is to be in charge of these statewide groups fighting against abortion. So like in Georgia, for example, what's the, what are they going to do? They've got to, ju- the, the people heading these organizations who their job is to be in charge of this organization, they have to justify their existence to their donors, right? right. Like I didn't hear any of these organizations like, okay, well, you know, we did that. We got row of returns. So we're, you know, closing up shop. They, it's, it's been, been a great time. No, they're, they still like want to collect their salaries and they've got to convince their donors to keep giving them money. Yeah. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens. But that, um, finally, what everybody's talking about this week is um, Prince Harry and the book Spare. Have you read it? I have not read it. I don't know if I'm going to read it. I've, I've, you know, followed it. I did watch the thing on Netflix. Uh, you know, I watched his interview on, uh, I forget which. Anderson day. Cooper. No, it was, I think this was the ABC one that I watched. Oh, with uh, Michael Strahan? Yes. Okay. Yeah, watched that one. Um, you know, I... It's, I don't know if I'm going to read it. I don't know. I, you know, I'm fascinated again. I've, I've said this before. I think that Meghan Markle is clearly a very, very, very deft and talented producer. I do wonder a little bit about how heavy, um, heavy handed the editor of, of Prince Harry's book was. Cause it was some of the, some of the, some of the nuggets. I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, sweetie. Well, <laughs> so, uh, a few weeks ago, or I don't know if it was last week, dear listener, but we talked about Audible and Audible books and the, the difference between listening to a book and reading a book. I think Prince Harry Spare is the biggest win for the Audible company for a couple of reasons. Number one, people get to hear Prince Harry, whether you love him or you hate him, and so many people are hate listening reading. But the book from what I've heard is mostly about grief and losing his mother and him not believing that his mother was dead and pretending she was still alive and like all that, like that's really, really heartbreaking. So, so the, the the level of cruelty from some people is really, really fascinating, no matter how you feel about that. I mean, okay. But so I can only imagine what that was like in that recording session because he wrote it and now he's reliving it. Right. So, and I know from, listening to a lot of celebrity memoirs, which is one of my favorite genres. It's a great genre. I love it. I highly recommend Mariah Carey's is fantastic. Um, I also like Brandy Carlisle's a lot. Hers is great. I liked Rob Lowe's. Yeah, a lot. I haven't read that or listened to that, but I know a lot of people love that one. But this is the clip that really got everybody talking. My penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatized. The last place I wanted to be was Frost Nippistan. I'd been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. I found a tube, and the minute I opened it, the smell transported me through time. I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. Then I took a smidge and applied it. 
down there. <laughs> I mean, the, just the cringe factor. Like, and this was, I'm like, where, where is the editor? Where is the editor? I don't know. Well, first of all, I think the editor and the, the publisher's genius. Number one, if uh, I, and I said this on Twitter, I'm like, um, where's a, in a gay club that needs to be a remix, like my Todger, you know, something oh, yeah. like that. And it is kind of like, of course, it's like completely like sensationalistic, but at the same time, you know how you feel when you have a certain smell oh, of something. Smell is a powerful, powerful memory trigger. And to have that remind him of his mother, but of course he had a frostbitten penis and it's just like- I And mean, he, had, he had journeyed to frost nippistan. <laughs> And, but that's the thing. It's like, okay, a smell reminds you of your mother. So I'm going to take a deep breath, think of my dear departed mother and rub cream on my todger and then write about it. <laughs> it's truth is stranger than fiction, right? I mean, I mean, this poor, I mean, again, he, everything, every interview, everything, it's like a real, a real thorough endorsement for therapy for your children when they go through a trauma. And I don't know if there's anything more traumatic than losing a parent. And it seems like there was not a lot of therapy at the time. I think as adults, I think as adult, clearly he is, he is, you know, but it's like, you've got to, you've got to watch out for your kids. And especially in that way. I yeah. mean, it's just like, that's the thing off the, you know, listen, I love the Netflix show. Like I could have watched three more episodes. I was so into it. I was texting Terry through the whole time because it's just, I think Terry's absolutely right. Like Megan produced it. She did a great job. She's a really good producer. And it was just good TV. Yeah. It was just a good documentary. Like, but people have very big feelings about this. But listen, supply and demand, man. People are buying that book or downloading that book. I remember when it did when it if you when it came out last week, I saw a tweet from Audible saying, We're we're sorry that like people were just downloading it like crazy. Yeah. They couldn't get it out fast enough. So I mean, you know, people are saying that, yeah, it's overkill, but at the same time, like it's overkill. I agree, but people are they want it. Yeah, and you know what? Good for Harry and Megan. Montecito ain't cheap. It sure isn't. That's where Oprah lives. That's right. It's where uh, Ellen DeGeneres lives. And uh, maybe one day you and I will visit there. Maybe one day. <laughs> maybe. Christina Loringer is our producer, and we always thank her for getting these episodes out in a timely fashion. Listen, give us a rating. Uh, we need one. Give us five stars. Send us a text. Keep in touch with us. I'll ask Terry anything. I'll put her on the spot, and you can answer it. That's true. You're good. Well, thank you. All right. Anything else we need to know? No, I think we're good. Thanks for thanks for listening and liking and sharing the podcast. All right. We'll talk to you next week. 